The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host, Jerry McCarthy. On this week's show, we have all the reaction from last weekend's Cork Camogie Senior County Final won by Sarsfields at the expense of Shandoon. And we hear from the Echoes, Linda Mellerick. I have a full roundup of all last weekend's Cork and Munster LGFA Club Championship action. Cork's Red FM's resident rugby expert, Wendy Keenan, reviews Ireland's WXV3 tournament win over Colombia and previews this weekend's clash with Spain. Plus, we have all the women's AI. Munster Open Cup and Trophy and Youth League scores. Munster Women's Hockey's Graham Catchpole reviews the latest Munster Women's Hockey results and previews this weekend's fixtures. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley reviews last weekend's Austin Grand Prix and looks ahead to the Mexican GP. AFLW expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran analyses every AFLW 8th round result of each Irish player's performance and we preview round 9, including the latest AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. That's all to come on this week's jam-packed Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Sarsfields won the 2023 SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie Championship County Final 111-9 over reigning champions Shandoon in Castle Road last Sunday. A huge attendance was treated to a cracking final and a rerun of the 2022 edition where Sarsfields' superior work rate and defending proved decisive. Claire Mullins scored 1-2 with Kate Fennessy not 5, Orla Mullins not 2 and Lucy Allen not 2, completing the winner's total. Shandoon scores came via Amy O'Connor 4 points, Lauren Holman, Sinead Mills, Maeve Coffey, Aaron Curtin and Katrina Mackey a point each. We got all the aftermatch reaction on the Castle Road pitch immediately after the final whistle. Uh, you're about to hear from both managers, the winning SARS manager Tygo Glinch and Shandoon's Trevor Coleman. But first, here are some of the winning Sarsfield players, Lucy Allen, Orla Mullins, and up first, Cleena Lynch. Cleena, uh, congratulations. That was some battle today, but um, fantastic all-round team performance got you over the line. Yeah, oh my God. I think that was our best performance to date. Like, every single person gave it 100%, like we knew they would, but it was needed to beat Chandun today because they're a formidable side, and it's just so glad the work paid off. <laughs> last year, the big motivation? Yeah, huge motivation. Like, it's just the hurt from last year. We were so close, but yet so far in the end, you know, and then to come back and have the same opponent, same pitch, nearly the same date, it was almost like a sequel, you know, so. We're delighted to be on the right side. Been a difficult time down your part of the world in the recent weeks, but the crowd that came out today to support you must have been a fantastic boost. Yeah, no, a huge boost. I was trying not to get caught up in it, not to look around too much, but there's so many familiar faces here today, and it's just brilliant. It's unbelievable. And with the men last week, like just great celebrations we had. Finally, what will this do for this group? Oh, I think it will just keep pushing us forward. Like, it's so good. Like, last year we were so close, but we didn't get it. Now that this year we finally won, I don't know, like, the sky is the limit, really. <laughs> well, listen, congratulations and well done. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Lucy, emotional day for everybody with yeah. Sarah's, but the men that took the county, now the women have done it as well. Yeah. What a battle, though, with Chandun. Oh, it's huge, you know. We expected a battle, and that's exactly what we got, I think. The hurt of last year was there, and the hurt I suppose the last week in Glamour was absolutely there. Um, our men, you know, did a phenomenal job last week, and we tried not to think about that too much coming in today. But um, we're just absolutely thrilled to have gotten over the line. How difficult was it to focus, just considering everything that had been happening off the pitch? I know you were focused on winning, but still, yeah. there was a lot went down down your part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we went from the highest of highs Sunday to the lowest of lows that following Wednesday. Um, I have to thank you know the, the communities around us and the GA clubs that offered us their pitches. You know we were training up in Carlog this past week, um, so you know we had that in the back of our minds of course, and it's an extra emotion. 
So we're you know even prouder to do it this week for for Sars and Glanmire. Very well said. One of the big things I, I took from this county final this year compared to last year was the work rate. Yeah. He just never stopped. Yeah. Each one of the lines, it wasn't just one of the forwards, it was everybody. Mm, yeah, and that's what we, we knew we had to do it, you know. We've had uh, some tough games coming into this match and we've had times where we've like zoned out in the second, particularly early second half, so that was in the, you know, our minds coming out here and we, we knew you know, we had to win this year. We, there was no way about it. How we did it, it didn't matter. It was just work rate. We knew every single line, you know, as soon as the ball was in, you have to keep it in. If it was out, you have to get it back in. And it was, you know, every single person, 1-15, to 15, worked hard to keep that ball in. What will this performance, what will this title do for the younger players on the panel? Yeah, you know, it'll, it'll be huge. We have such phenomenal talent in our in our panel especially this year I think it made a difference people being that extra year older um, where I know I'm in the older bunch of that group and uh, training every single night is dogged you know there's not one single player you want to be marking in that training and I think that's what we went out to build this year a panel of 30 players you go hard at training you know there's I, I maintain that you know some of the players I mark at training are the, the toughest in the county so I think that absolutely stood to us very briefly, the management team, Ty Gorg, everything they've done for you. Oh, they're just phenomenal. I, I can't speak highly enough of them. Ty Gorg has been there for years, um, and to do it for him this year is just, you know, I, I'm emotional about that, and I'm delighted. My uncle John is there. He came in as coach two years ago, and, you know, it's extra special. I had cousins playing in the, the senior hurling game too, so, you know, it's absolutely huge. Everyone in the management, we had Anthony, um, Elliot, Brian O'Leary, Jen Murphy, it's just a phenomenal setup, and they stuck with us from last year after the hurt um, and knew that there was something there, and, and there absolutely is. Finally, after everything that's happened this week, there's something for the local community to be happy about, to put a smile on their face and to focus on that maybe more than anything is the best thing yeah. coming out of today? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's, it's going to be a tough few months um, in Glamire to get back to, you know, and even the pitch is, is pretty damaged at the moment. Um, we'll have to find alternatives for the next few weeks. And, but look, isn't it a great problem to have that we have to go looking for pitches this time of year? Congratulations, go get that trophy. Thank you much, sir. Thank you. All right, Orla Mullins, it's just mere seconds after SARS have just claimed the SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie title. How do you feel? Oh, my God, words don't describe. Over the moon, I actually, I'm so out of breath now, I can't even talk, but we've been training so hard all year and to not come out with this achievement and coming so short last year, it's just really needed at the moment. What a big crowd as well here today to Rory. I know it's been a difficult week you know, down in that part of the world, but fantastic to see the crowd come out and support you. Oh yeah, we were at the boys' match last weekend and the crowd they had as well. And we didn't expect such big numbers, but God, it's great seeing everyone driving you on and all the Shandoon people as well. It's amazing. Real, real fantastic team effort today. Claire, Claire's goal was, was important, but the defence, the forwards, everybody really dug in. Was last year motivation? Oh, 100%. We were at a meeting there Thursday night and the clip was shown in the final whistle. And I think as well, that just hit home for most of us and that's what helped us dig deep today. And, and look, we won our result now. So I'm just delighted overall. Delighted. Congratulations. Go get the cup. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks very much. Tyke, uh, first of all, congratulations. Uh, winning a county title is never easy and certainly how difficult this championship was. But what did you think was the difference today between you and Shandoon considering last year? Um, I suppose the start. I mean, we put a big emphasis on being still in the game. Last year we were 1-4 to a point down after about 15 minutes and we were chasing the game and we did get back level. But I suppose we, all our energy was getting back level. We just couldn't get back ahead maybe and we ran out of steam towards the end. But we really wanted to uh, stay in the game the first half. We kind of we won the toss. We said we'd play against the wind. 
and it worked out well. But you know, um, the tactics are always great when they work, you know. So, but we were happy at the first half. That was a platform, made life a little bit difficult in the second half. But we, we probably we got there in the end, like you know. So. The word that kept coming to my mind as I was watching it was work great. I know he got that crucial goal in a low-scoring game, but half-back line, half-forward line, full-back line, all the way through, work great from start to finish was exceptional. Yeah, we put a huge emphasis on work rate, put a huge emphasis on the team rather than individuals and in fairness the girls bought into it. Like Our half-hour line worked really hard in the first half, delivered ball in, the inside forward line did really well, Lucy Allen was outstanding. Um, you know, but as you're right, I mean midfields, you know, we brought Caitlin out there just to pick up their third midfielder and they all worked really, really hard. But yeah, I'm so proud of them, then. but they've been working hard all year to be fair to them. And again, it's a panel, I mean, girls came on there, made a difference and there's a lot of girls who haven't come on and played, but they've all bought into it and you know, Shanduna forced us to raise our bar last year. Uh, we went back this year. Um, there was a couple of girls coming back for different reasons too, which kind of added a bit of competition to the panel. And those younger girls that were under 16 last year have pushed on another year. And there's a big difference in them. They were in, a lot of them were involved with Cork Miners, so brought a lot of experience. So yeah, so we're, we're thrilled with them. Yeah. And just finally, with all that's been going on off the pitch, how hard was it just to focus on on the camogie? You know, it's a very very difficult thing to say. Very hard. Uh, I, there was a lot of stress this week for a lot of people with their houses and businesses. Um, there was a lot of stress for us, I suppose, trying to find somewhere to train in Aaron's own. Fairness were brilliant, they accommodated us. Um, but yeah, look, I said that to the girls beforehand. Today doesn't solve the problems for those people whose houses were flooded, but it might put a smile on their face for 10 or 15 minutes and take their mind off it for an hour. So that's at least we can bring some kind of solace to them. So it's always better to win than to lose, I suppose. So, But yeah, yeah, it's been a tough week. Congratulations and well done. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Joe. Okay, Trevor, look, obvious disappointment. Um, Shandoon, uh, you know, have been on such a fantastic run. It's disappointing to lose any county final. But what do you put it down to? I mean, is there, I know it's very soon just after the final whistle, but was the spark just not there today, especially in that opening quarter half? Yeah, I suppose, look, we spoke about it during the week, uh, Joe, and to be fair, all year, I, I, we just haven't got going. A lot of these goals, look, they, they aren't the county players, there's no point saying it. They're, like, they're talking about this split season, but I don't think it's right for the inter-county player. Like, they'll be finished now, they'll probably have a week or two off, they're probably going to go back to Cork. Like, these goals are on the go three years, and even myself being involved with Cork, like, I, I felt tired, I honestly did believe I felt tired coming into it. I'm three years on the go, you'll finish, you might have a two or three weeks off, and then you're back into the inter-county season. But look, George, that's not an excuse. Sales simply wanted it more today. They were a credit to their club and it looked to be all what's gone on in the, in the last couple of days. Look, did they deserve it? You have to sometimes just put your hand up in sport and say, yes, they deserved it. Um, you didn't get the customary goal that I would normally see getting at, at critical times in tight, ma- in, tight, in tight matches. That was crucial today. Their defence um, were very tenacious. They were they were marking the, and closing it down that they didn't do last year. Do you think they learned a bit more from last year? Oh, they, they obviously did. They learned massively. And to be fair, teams have not... Uh, this year was a right battle every time we went out in the field. Everyone went defensive against us. And that's no disrespect to any teams coming up against us. I'd be the same if I was the manager on the opposite side. Go a slight bit defensive. And, but the big thing that Sarah's did today is they stopped the ball going into our forwards. And that was from work rate which was massive, like they, they, they hunger in their belly and to, to watch them, look again, it's probably good for Cockamogie that everyone says the club team's in it, but like these girls that I've battled with the last four years with Shandone, have an absolute credit to Cockamogie and a credit to their clubs and a credit to Shandone, like I just said it from there, like a lot of them have two county medals in their, in their back pocket, if you would have said four years ago with Shandone, they would have said we would have barely got a team together, they're an absolute credit to deal with and I'd, I'd love to go into war with them, but just today about another day.
Um, you've raised the bar, not just recently, but over the last four years, as you said. I presume you're coming back to raise the bar again. Uh, I don't think so, John. Look, I have a look. I'm, as I said, I'm on the go three years now between Cork and Shandoon and my own club. I'm doing a lot of that in my own club at the moment. So, look, I have to reevaluate every situation uh, in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to go on a holiday with the wife and take her away for <laughs> 10 days and then reevaluate the whole situation. Look, it's tough having the daughters there as well, and you know what I mean when it comes to the crunch. So, I, I, I need to look at everything, John. Look, Camogie has been good to me. I think I've given a lot to Camogie. Look, I just need to reevaluate over the next few days and see what I'll do. Okay, well, thanks for everything you've done for us here on the Big Red Bench, and we hope to see you again next season. I won't say any more than that. Thanks a million, John. <laughs> the Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. EchoLive.ie and the Echo's Linda Millerick join me on this week's Cork Shred FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to analyse last weekend Shandoon and Sarsfield's Cork Camogie Senior County Final, and also look ahead to Sars' upcoming Munster Camogie Championship. No, delighted to be joined here on the line on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench by the Echo Live.ie and the Echoes um, Linda Mellerick uh, who wrote and has written extensively throughout this season on all things Cork Camogie and uh, was there at Castle Road alongside ourselves um, last weekend to witness Sarsfield's 111-09 victory over reigning champion Shandoon in the SE Systems Senior Camogie County Championship decider. First of all Linda you're very welcome to the bench again how are you? And good, thanks, Jaron. You really good. Yeah, it was a good day at Castle Road. First of all, the crowd, huge crowd for a county final, which is always fantastic to see. Facilities looking really, really good as well. It was a good day, um, but a better day for Sarsfields, Linda. They won it one eleven to not nine, unseating the champions, the three in a row chasing champions. And the word that I wrote down on the sideline that day that kept coming back to me as I was watching the game unfold was work rate, work rate, work rate. Is that one of the reasons that you believe Sars are now the county champions? Um, absolutely, and I, I knew that work rate was going to be there before the game. You know, I mean, it, it was it was it was all lining up for them. You know, the hurt of last year, um, the double, and you know, probably the storm last week, which brought a gloom around the community. You know, probably drove them on another bit to try and just lift spirits a bit. So, you know, um, they were always going to bring that. I felt that intensity, that desire, that hurt to the pitch. And I just didn't think Shandoon were going to match it based on performances this year. And, and, and so it turned out that way. Yeah, and one of the interesting things that you mentioned there, uh, Linda, in fairness, you did mention it as well in the build-up to it was, and the players that I interviewed afterwards, it was interesting that while they all mentioned the flooding and the horrific flooding that's occurred in that area around Sars and the pitch and everything that they've had to deal with in the build-up to the game, one thing that kept coming back was last year's county final. Um, a lot of the players, Lucy Allen as well, one of those players mentioning that they didn't think Sars performed to their optimum that day and that that was another driving force going into this year's final. Yeah, it was bound to be, you know. I mean, their slow start must have really played on their minds after that final, you know. I think uh, they were one, it was one four to a point, or so, mm. I think inside eight minutes or something, if I recall. And they chased the game for the whole game thereafter. And, and Lucy Allen herself wasn't playing last year. And, you know, she, she, she had a huge game yesterday. And, um, you know, and the players they brought back. Um, but... Look, when you lose a county final, if you don't have hurt the following year come and, and desire to avenge that, then 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 you're going nowhere, you know. So, you know, um, I'm sure if Shandoon had lost last year's final, they might have had a greater pep in their step this year rather than going for the three in a row. So, yeah, it, 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 um, look, I thought Sarah's work rate from their forwards outwards was, was, was mm. top class. Their forwards worked so hard. 
Um, but their tracking back was was su- superb. I think they were quite happy to leave Sinead Mills and Haley Ryan get a bit of space there in the first half. Every time the ball went in, their 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 midfielders, their half forwards, like their half forwards were just back in 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 their own defence as well. And Sinead Mills won a free and picked off a point. But I think Saras were quite happy to let them do that. There was no goal threat inside. They snuffed out everything. Uh, thought Lucy Kelly was excellent on on Amy O'Connor and. They, they just swarmed Shandun. Mm. But, you know, it was similar to the semi-final. Could have swarmed Shandun too and Shandun couldn't shake them off. And at this level, you have to be prepared for that. You have to be able to shake them off. And and they couldn't do it. Um, and so, you know, Sars deservedly won the game. My, I'm actually even surprised the gap was only four points. And, mm. and, and yet, Shandun, you know, with a few minutes to go, could have got it down to two points, but when they got it to three, and then Amy on, you know, missed the close in free to bring it to two. I think if it had come to two, you know, I still think Sars would have pushed on though to that kind of game. I just think they had it, you know, in in every line of the field. Uh, Lauren Homan, and I have to give Lauren Homan great credit. You know, she had a couple of wides in the second half, but she was the one that took the chance, took mm. took long distance striking from outside and the wind caught them but overall you have to say that in every line of the pitch really you know Sars were on top um, surprising that they only got four points in the second half but I think Emma Sharp coming on helped Neve Neve O'Leary went over and picked up Lucy Allen and they just worked their socks off then but really it was Sars defence led by Neve O'Callaghan who went up to take the cup Mm. And who came back this year, you know, very skillful player. I thought she really stood up there as well in the second half. And, you know, young Laura Dunley as well, you know, a, a minor last year. And I, and I believe a minor again next year. You know, I thought she was fantastic for someone so young. So uh, apparently there was 11 minors on that Sarsfield panel yesterday, which is which just wow. is incredible. And it just goes to show the, the tremendous work that they've done underage over the last number of years. And it eventually came to fruition. I know they got they got there in 2019, but I think they relied an awful lot on Emer Fennell back then. Since she left and they had a lot of people traveling, they had injuries, they, they just weren't clicking. And Neve herself spoke before the final about COVID having an impact on them and, you know, and they, then again, then you had last year where they felt they didn't perform. They left it behind them. They, you know, they felt. And this year then, they made up for it. You know, I mentioned over 100 training sessions and that's what they brought to the pitch, which Shandun didn't have. How much, Linda, did the Black Rock victory the day before? I know Shandun have been in this position before where a number of their players have won for their club and then 24 hours later, togged out and won again for their division. But was this the year... I think and Trevor, uh, in fairness to me, was very magnanimous in defeat as ever Trevor Coleman. But was this the year that it finally started to catch up with them? Or are we reading too much into it? I, you, you have it has to be taken into consideration, really. You know, I mean, the players look tired; mm. they're heavy. It's hard to build yourself up for an intermediate county final, come down to it and build yourself up again the following day. You know, but it wasn't just the Black Rock players. I think you know, all over Shandun were, were, were just looks that bit tired. Uh, but look, I think it's unfair on the players. I think it's um, you know they talk about player welfare, but it's 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 not right. You know, another weekend wouldn't have done any harm. Not that it looked, but as you say, I popped into the Shandun um, out to Bishopstown to Maeve Scannell's club last night. 
just because I had popped out to them when they won and I felt it was only right mm-hmm. to pop out when they lost. And I was there only there briefly, but all the management team and all the players, very magnanimous, you know, put their hands up and said, look, Sarah's a great team. They deserved it. If we had taken it, it probably would have been a steal. You know, we were flat all year. We didn't hit the heights of last year and the year before. And, you know, they were full, full of compliments for, for Sarah's. And, uh, you know, um, looking forward to them now representing Cork in Munster. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because, I mean, they've got a bit of momentum behind them now. Obviously, there'll be celebrations and you've won a county senior title and you know all about winning county titles. How difficult do you think it would be for them to lift it again for a Munster Championship? Or do you think that this might be something, I've seen it in the Cork Ladies football side of things, where teams mightn't necessarily have been focusing on Munster at all because you're so focused on winning your own county title. But when you get one win in Munster, it can great, the momentum starts to build very quickly. Is this team... You know, are they too young to be considered as potential monster title contenders, or will everything just be a bonus from here on in for Sars? No, I think they're monster title contenders. I think last year they were beaten by Scarif, mm-hmm. uh, by God, I can't off the cuff now. Was it a point, couple of points, point, a point or two? And they fielded five under sixteens then, or something. These girls are all a year year older. But last year, I felt in monster. They were down after losing the county title. It's very hard to lose a county title and go out and represent yourself in Munster. Uh, I kind of nearly get the impression that you feel you don't deserve to be there. But now that they've won the county and and having lost Munster last year, I think they'll go all for it. And I think they have every chance of winning Munster. And it's a while since since the Cork Club has done that. And I think it would be great if they did. So they're playing again, off the cuff at the weekend around the November the 11th, I think, mm-hmm. away to Scarif. Um, and, you know, hopefully they'll get a good support up there and, and avenge that defeat as well. Mm. Why not, indeed. Um, just before we finish up, there's one player I wanted to mention because she caught my eye at the weekend just with her the, the way she, the manner in which she took her goal and ended up at 1-2. But Claire Mullins, for such a diminutive player, is so fast, so brave, and is just the epitome of everything good about Sars. I think this year you could pick, and I know how difficult it is to pick a player of the match from such a tight game and such a fantastic team performance as you outlined um, in uh, when you were speaking to me there. But your view uh, with somebody with your experience, uh, Linda, your view of Claire Mullins, what kind of player she might develop into? Yeah, look, I was very impressed with Claire. I, you know, I think she gets the ball and the confidence of the head down and goal is on her mind, you know, and they're, they're key forwards to get their heart to find. Um, very lively, very flighty, I think I called her. Mm. Very hard to pin down. Um, a great player, you know, and a great future ahead of her as well. You know, I was thinking about it then after, you know, apart from Livia McAllen, there's no other player from Stars on the Cox senior panel. Um, that might change whether that's, you know, so they're a very young side, so maybe it's a step too far yet. Maybe the intermediate is is, mm-hmm. is, is, is the one is the one in between to, to grow these players. I know Olivia, you know, Olivia is young um, and she she was making a name for herself with the Cox Senior panel until she did her cruciate. Might take her a little, little while longer to get back to where she was. But um, Claire Mullins definitely must have caught the eye of... Um, any future potential manager there was probably <laughs> 10 of them there was probably 10 of them in the crowd just uh, lurking hiding yeah. and with their notebooks out so um, yeah a great player deserving of the player of the match award but a, and a, you know a real a, a, yeah. I suppose what you call a true forward you know a goal getter um, took a lovely couple of points as well 
So, but as you say, a number of players could have got the player of the match award yesterday. They could indeed. And again, uh, from here, everybody on the big red bench, we congratulate Sarsfields. Congratulations to Shandoon. They've been great champions, but Sarsfields are the 2023 SE Systems Cork Senior Camogie Champions following that 111-9 victory at Castle Road in front of a huge attendance last weekend. And they march on to... Munster, which we will be keeping an eye on, and we might have another chat with you about their Munster exploits in the not too distant future. But for now, Linda Millerick, thank you so much once again for joining us here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks, Jer. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Cork's Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to review the Irish senior women's latest victory in Dubai. We also have all the latest women's AIL results involving Munster Clubs, UL Bohemians and Balancholic and the scorers from those games, plus news of the Munster Women's Open Cup and Trophy competition results. And as well as all of that, we have a review of all of last weekend's Munster Youth League's results and try scores. We're also delighted to be joined on this week's Munster Women's Rugby segment by a very special guest, Wendy's dog, Teddy. Now here on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench, we're delighted to welcome back our resident rugby expert, Wendy Keenan, to look back over the past week's results in the Women's AIL, Munster Open Cup and Youth Leagues, as well as another important win for the Irish International Women's Team. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm great, sir. Thanks a million. How are you? I'm good, good. Lots happening, lots happening, not just in uh, your sport, but in all sports, but we're focusing on rugby for now. We're going to start uh, with a very, very important and uh, impressive win for Ireland in Dubai as they continue their excellent run in the WXV3 tournament. Yeah, so they played Colombia at the weekend and they ran in try uh, 10 tries, uh, beating Colombia 64-3. Great result. And they've set up a winner-takes-all encounter with Spain next Saturday. So that by halftime, the scoreline was 38-0. Um, they scored the first try within three minutes. But look, we have to remember, we mentioned this Tier 3, and Colombia have only been playing women's international rugby since 2019. So that was their opposition. So that kind of uh, speaks more. So they face Spain next weekend. Uh, the 28th that will be on at five o'clock and we'll be able to see it in on um, Rugby Pass if anybody wants to watch that live next weekend. Excellent stuff. This will be a much stiffer test, Wendy, considering um, Spain have beaten Kenya 32-0 and Fiji 26-19. Fiji put it up to them, certainly. But the importance and significance of this particular win, why is it so important for Irish women's rugby? Well, I mean, as you mentioned, that this is a different calibre of competition that they're going to face next week. They've had great preparation. Like, essentially, they've been living, sleeping, drinking rugby for, um, you know, for three weeks now. So this will be the end of the six week, uh, the end of the three week stint. They'll want to finish on a high. Um, they're looking at going into the Six Nations. You know what I mean? There's places up for grabs, people trying to, you know, take their opportunity when they get it. But it is going to be stiffer competition, I suppose, to give people an idea of, why is this competition being held now? That was one of the questions I got asked. Why would you have this competition now when the, the World Cup on? So this is a three-tier three -tier tournament held by uh, World Rugby. Um, I suppose it's designed to increase competitiveness, reach and impact of the elite women's rugby. That's taken from their plan um, there. So they have the top 18 teams um, in the world competing across three levels, tier one, tier two and tier three. And why is it important? We also have a World Cup coming up. And that'll take place in England in 2025. We need to qualify for that. They're extending it to 16 teams. So there'll be a full review in uh, 2025 of the different years. Uh, so we need to win. 
Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, brilliantly put. I mean, if uh, that is the significance of it, as you said, it's an unusual time of the year, unusual place, but this is the way world rugby is going. And the tiering of nations, even though there has been some lopsided results, it's like the Nations League in soccer takes a year or two of these types of tournaments before you reach your level. But Ireland desperately needs to get up to, to tier two, to tier one eventually, as you said. Um, but the confidence they'll have gained, irrespective of the one-sided nature of the games, Wendy, how important is it, and you'd know this, from being in a camp for a long period of time, what are the benefits that players get from that when they're together and away from everyone else in that camp? What are the biggest benefits for Irish rugby, apart from the big wins and hopefully a third win that will come from that? Okay, so first and foremost, we have a new coach. So he's getting to know all his players, you know what I mean, on a personal level as well as a professional level. You know what I mean? And that's really important, the gelling together of a team. Um, that doesn't happen overnight. You need to spend time with your teammates, just bonding, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and getting to know each other. Um, I suppose they're working on areas of improvement. If you look at any of the reports that came out, you know what I mean, in terms of tackle counts, um, etc., line breaks, they were all coming out after the matches and he was highlighting the areas that they need to work on. Um, he also said, it was interesting when I was reading about pre-match against Colombia, he was saying, we don't know what to expect because they don't have the history, you know what I mean, whereas, you know, everybody else would have their, you know, their set game plans. But look, it's about spending time together. It's about, you know, individual skill sets being developed during that three weeks as well, giving the girls an opportunity to work together, not only in the set times of training, but they'll also have downtime, that they'll have times to work on things as well. But it's just, you know, like we like we've seen with the men, that getting together, spending time together and living and dying together and winning on the pitch becomes really important. And, you know, I always say winning is a habit. Mm. They've now two out of two. So, you know, if we could make it three out of three, hopefully we could continue and, you know, we'll build confidence with that. We haven't been scoring tries. We didn't score many tries last year in the Six Nations. Um, so that too is a habit. So we're learning how to score more tries. Um, but still their tackle count is high, um, mm. if you look at it, which is good too. But, um, yeah, lots of positives. Indeed, there are. So congratulations to Ireland on that 64-3 win over Columbia. We wish them well this weekend in Dubai in the WXV3 Tier 3 final uh, where they take on Spain. Um, we move now to the Energia All-Ireland League Women's Division and contrasting fortunes for the two Munster teams involved here, Wendy. Yeah, round five, you will uh, remain unbeaten. Um, they were at home to Black Rock. Um, 29-10 was the final score. Um, four tries for Chisholm. Um, absolutely delighted for her. And one from our own local Cork girl, uh, Abby Salter Townsend. Two conversions from Kate Flannery. So, um, so look, they remain top of the table. They remain unbeaten. There's only t- two teams unbeaten now. Um, and they have, you know, beaten uh, the league winners from last year. So they'll be, you know, thrilled. They have a down week this week. Um, and then they're coming to Cork. They're going to be in Cork the following week to face uh, Balancholic. Oh, I think we might be talking about that one somehow. But, but disappointment for Balancholic just this past weekend, though, any? Yeah, they were away to Rail Reunion. It was always going to be a very tough ask for them. They were um, defeated 46-10. Two tries scored from Roshi Normand, who we had on here a couple of weeks ago, and Bridget Tuig. But I just want to highlight, they were beaten 79-0 at the mm. same time last year. Mm. And now we're looking at them scoring two tries against Railway Union and defending much better. 46, I know, you know, I mean, um, is what they let in, but still it, it is an improvement and they have more points now than they did, you know, what I mean, um, finishing off last year. So it's it's great. It is, it's progress, as you said, and they will relish the opportunity to take on UL Bowes. Hopefully we can drum up enough interest on that and get some uh, get some crowd out there when that match takes place. Yeah, and some look, we 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 we'll finish with some really positive statistics around this. So 
We have the top two scorers from uh, from Munster. So Kate Flannery is on top of 49 points and Chisholm Uganda is a second with 45 points. But Chisholm is now the top try scorer. Um, she scored four tries uh, in their match at the weekend. So she is the top try scorer on nine and her nearest rival is on five. So I'm sure that will be a motivating factor for her to keep running in those tries. Uh, yeah, excellent as always uh, with the other sports that we cover here on the Big Red Bench those scoring tables are very very they're looked at every week by all the players even though they deny that they are but great to see Kate Flannery up there as well as Chisholm and good luck to them and as we said that big game coming down the line we'll certainly keep an eye on that here on the Big Red Bench you are listening to Cork Street FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast with me Jeremy McCarthy and our resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan going through all the latest international and local rugby news we turn our attention to the Munster Open Cup and the Munster Open Bowl where there was a couple of results this past weekend. Yeah, Tralee were defeated by Ennis Kilrush. Ennis Kilrush would be absolutely thrilled with that win. You know, Tralee have a lot of experience. They are going through a little bit of a rebuilding stage. You know what I mean? They're reverting back from that Kerry team. Remember, we, did, we went to the provincials, mm. uh, the, the county set up to try and build the numbers. So the final score there was uh, 29-15. Lots of uh, tries being scored. And then in our Munster Open Bowl, uh, Clonakilty defeated Bantry. Uh, three tries to one, 15, uh, 15-5 there. So... Um, I think they've been in contact with you with that result already. Yes, uh, very, very active. Uh, one of the most active clubs on, uh, not just saying because I live here, but in, on Instagram and across social media channels. It's very easy to keep up to date with what Connor FC are doing and Bantry and Dunmanway and Skip, just to be fair. Um, been very, very active. A lot of the younger kids as well are going back training and starting off at the minute. But uh, that's a good result for Connor Kilty and, and a really good result, as you mentioned there, for Ennis Kilrush, because it's one thing to beat Tralee, even if they're in transition. But they scored five tries as well there, Wendy. So that's really encouraging for them. And good to see the Munster open cup and bowl competitive games for women at this particular level is probably more important in the long run am I right? Oh yeah absolutely do you know what I mean uh, they need to be getting compos- getting game time and you know what I mean matches week in week out we don't want breaks so that's really important it's I'm sure everybody wants the jazz weekend off don't you? <laughs> just going to say not every weekend maybe the bank holidays one they want off but we let them off one for that one we finish our weekly rugby segment with one of the most popular segments and this week we look at uh, as many of the youth results as we possibly can but we're being helped in this on this occasion because of the poor weather Wendy yeah, I suppose, look, last week, you know, we made the deluge, um, especially down in Cork, and it has really affected fixtures. But I have to mention, because you just mentioned about social media, all the pictures and everybody tagging us um, to show their pictures. It was absolutely fantastic. I love sharing those action shots, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were lots of them. We'll go through the scores because, as I mentioned, quite a number of the matches were cancelled. So we start out with the under-14s. So we had Gary Owen Galbaby uh, defeating Old Crescent, uh, 28-17. Balina Kilgus-Scarif defeated Shannon, a very close one, 29-24. Richmond defeated Ennis, 40-10. Clonakilty defeated Dunmanway Bantry, 24-12. They'll be delighted with that local derby. Uh, they'll have the blagging rights. And uh, Tralee Castle Island defeated uh, Mallow, uh, Mitchellstown, 38-27. Another loads of tries scored again in that match. Same as last year, I think we mentioned that, all the tries that were being scored. At under 16, we had Ennis defeated uh, Richmond Old Crescent, 13-0. Feather Thurless lost out to Ballina Killaloo, 27-7. Damanway Bantry defeated uh, Skibbereen, 33-17. And Clannacilty defeated Canturk, uh, 13-0. And we finish off with the under-18s. And Ennis defeated Ballina Killaloo, uh, 39-7. Ballancolic defeated Clonakilty 22-17 and Dolphin defeated Bantry uh, Dunmanway uh, 65-29. So lots of tries being scored across our three um, 
our three divisions there, our three age grades. Apologies for the bark, we have a new puppy. <laughs> what is the puppy's name? He is Teddy. Teddy. Okay, well, Teddy is already part of the big red bench now, so it's fine. We've had lots of dogs in the background and our guests in the past, so it's quite all right. I'm well used to them. Um, <laughs> yes, as you said there, look, this time of year, lots and lots going on in the youth league. It's great to see so many games being played as well, considering how poor the weather is and testament to the clubs for having their pitch in a playable condition as well. I think you'd agree with that, Wendy, especially for girls at this time of year. They just want to get out and play. And it was great, considering other sports and the multiple plus moments I saw this last weekend. Good for rugby and most women's rugby again to see those games going ahead. Oh yeah, we're absolutely thrilled. I thought there'd be more cancellations if I'm being honest. Mm. And then in two weeks we'll kick off our minis, you know what I mean? So we have the province divided north and south. So we have 12 blitzes coming up, uh, you know, to be north and south over the coming weeks. Um, and I suppose we better catch up with some of the work that's been done at the development level as well with our development teams because they're back in their blocks training as well. Excellent. So no shortage of things to talk about in once Women's Rugby as ever uh, here on the Big Red Bench. We're delighted to have your opinion on all the latest news. Wendy Keenan, thanks very much for joining us this week and we will talk again soon. Thanks, Melinda. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM's resident Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on the Big Red Bench Women in Sports podcast to provide analysis, comment and her expert opinion on this past weekend's Austin Grand Prix. Max Verstappen battling brake issues and Mercedes's Lewis Hamilton to win his 50th GP. Mercedes and Ferrari suffering points losses after technical disqualifications and the first F1 point scoring finish of the season for Logan Sargent as he fights for his F1 future. All that and the preview of the upcoming Mexican Grand Prix. Here's Sarah. Now here on Cork's FM's Big Red Bench. We're delighted to be joined by our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley, to run the rule over the Austin GP and have a quick look ahead as well to this weekend's Mexican Grand Prix. Uh, Sarah, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, we we were worried how much cheese we were going to get at the weekend with it being another US Grand Prix, but actually I think it was it was kind of alright. We, we escaped without too much pomp and ceremony, I think. Um, rare for an American Grand Prix, but yes, we'll take it certainly. Um, I suppose the big headline coming out of it, obviously Max Verstappen winning is is not an uncommon headline uh, this past season. The reigning world champion is 50th as well, which I think in fairness to him. Um, but he had to battle a lot of uh, issues over the weekend and uh, he was he was under pressure for this particular win. So it was a gutsy and a good win, Sarah, considering the conditions his, the condition his car was in. Definitely. I think not as bad as what we saw in Singapore, the kind of total drop of performance there, but definitely he was having to push a lot harder than we're used to seeing him, particularly during qualifying on Friday. He was caught off by track limits, which is why he ended up starting the race then so far down. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton in the race itself managed to stay with him for a good chunk, but ultimately similar to the sprint race on Saturday, you know, just couldn't, couldn't quite keep it going. And despite starting from P6, Verstappen ultimately by the halfway point was in his, his usual leading position. And I think to be fair, like you say, you know, 50 Grand Prix wins is, is notable and, and that deserves, that deserves a, a kind of round of applause, but definitely, he had to fight a bit harder for this one than he's been used to for the rest of the year. Is it a bit dispiriting, Sarah, when the car clearly isn't at its at its maximum, the uh, the Red Bull, and he's still able to execute those very smooth takeovers? Uh, he did have the Ferraris in particular. He had a real battle with Leclerc um, mm. before he got past him and he was pushing him onto the side. But even being able to do that, and as you said then, considering the brake issues he had, and he thumped the car at one stage and was quite frustrated with everything, not necessarily with his team. And yet... And yes, he's able to zoom off into the distance. How much of this is him 
and just how far or is it how far behind the chasing pack still are behind the Red Bull? A lot of it is the car. It It is because, and you know, we keep going back to where is our closest comparison and we mightn't like it, but it's still Sergio Perez, you know, and, and there just isn't. So the, it's it's a lot of it is the car, but obviously, yes, Max is, is hugely talented. But do I think that if you were to put a Lewis Hamilton or a Lando Norris or, you know, any of the other drivers that are going well at the moment, even either of the two Ferrari boys, if you were to put them in that Red Bull I think they would, I think they'd excel. Genuinely, I do. You know, he's he's got a certain level of aggression that maybe not all of those people have, but certainly the car has a huge amount to do with it. And as you said, the gap more significantly to the other teams is the problem there because they they just haven't figured out the formula in the way that Red Bull have. No, they have not. And as you said, Max Verstappen coming home first in the United States GP, despite uh, the car issues that he had and despite his teammate not being able to replicate the same kind of paces. And that's been a common theme all year. You're listening to Cork's Red FM's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast with me, Jeremy McCarthy, and our resident Formula One expert, Sarah McKenzie Foley. We're reviewing the uh, United States Grand Prix uh, this past weekend. We've talked about the winners. We've talked about Red Bull. But the chasing pack in terms of Mercedes and Ferrari, um, technical disqualifications, now this came after the race had ended and they've both suffered mm. uh, you can just explain as to why first of all they were disqualified but the impact here as well Sarah on the Constructors Championship and on the Drivers Championship as well these are notable disqualifications Definitely yeah I mean Hamilton and Leclerc looked you know the only two really to be that close to Max Verstappen all weekend and as you mentioned they were disqualified on a technicality which has to do with the wooden planks underneath of each F1 car. They're referred to as skid blocks and folks that have watched races when they've seen sparks flying up from the underneath of the car, that is what's happening there. It's the the skid block is making contact with the track and that's where you're getting the sparks from. That's typically the only time you'd really be aware of them, but there's actually an acceptable range for the thickness of those planks that the FIA is willing to accept and it's measured on uh, on a sort of randomized basis uh, after each Grand Prix. And it so happened that both Hamilton and Leclerc's cars, the they had worn too thin, essentially, is what had happened to, to these wooden planks. And, you know, I have no issue with them being disqualified on this kind of thing. It's the same thing as, you know, you the car has to be a certain weight, including the driver at the end of the race. There has to be a certain amount of fuel left, these are all super technical things, obviously, but they do have a big impact on there being a level enough playing field for the whole paddock. So I think, unfortunately, in this case, it was necessary for, for them to be disqualified. It always makes me laugh. Formula One, millions upon billions upon billions being spent on testing on air tunnels and carbon fibre on the very greatest and best possible um, engine parts, scaling down, getting faster every year and underneath every bloody Formula One car is a plank of wood. Here we are (laughs) talking about disqualification. Now, just on the Constructors' Championship, I mean, there's only, in fourth and fifth, McLaren are only by a horrific maths, horrific six points clear of Aston Martin. Now they're not, Aston Martin isn't doing anything major, but the, an opportunity mm. lost there. And the same goes for Ferrari. They're 
22 points behind Mercedes in the chase for second place constructors which is quite important to both to all of those uh, mentioned teams there's a lot of money involved obviously where you finish in the constructors but the prestige as well of being the best of the rest after um, Red Bull this is you know I mean if you crash if you skid if the conditions are bad if somebody rear ends you you know you take it it's Formula mm. 1 but this strikes as real am I wrong Sarah that uh, something this Something as straightforward as this, as you've outlined in the thickness of a piece of wood, should not be the reason you lose out eventually, potentially, on a second or third place in the constructors, but it looks like it might. It is disappointing. You know, the Mercedes came out straight away and said, look, this is obviously, we didn't have the data, uh, the right data, I suppose, to make the right decision here. And it's a, it's a, effectively a team, a team error, I suppose, is, is how you describe it. And as you mentioned, the standings, particularly for the constructors, there's a lot riding on them. So it's just, it's a shame, but I think maybe it's being, there's a bit too much being made out of it because we see this, this kind of stuff happen typically once or twice a year. And I think it's just because we're so desperate for any kind of, uh, any kind of fight to be put up to the Red Bulls that when it finally does happen and then in the end, it turns out to not really materialize into mm. much i think it's really it's the disappointment of that more than anything and there's obviously only a couple of races left so as you say the points that are up for grabs are now limited so we'll have to see how it shakes out at the end but it's very getting very close there as you say in the chasing pack just on that uh lando norris because of those disqualifications and mclaren was bumped up to second place uh, carlos Sainz jr ferrari into third and in podium position norris didn't have a bad day he didn't have a bad weekend and like, mm. i suppose if you take everything into consideration the amount of times he was passed but how well he drove i thought he drove mm. smoothly and i thought you know he didn't give any position up easy especially to verstappen when verstappen he could see him in his rear view but he just you know he was really feisty mm. about the thing which i think was good this is a massive boost for him Whatever about McLaren, yes. but for him particularly, you, you'd agree with that. A second place is, is, and considering everything that happened at the weekend, he'll take it. Completely. And I think particularly, as we mentioned, he's been a bit overshadowed by Oscar Piastri lately. Unfortunately, Piastri obviously had to, had to bow out, but I think Lando will take a lot from this. And it was kind of nice that happened on his 100th Grand Prix as well, obviously unplanned for, for him to get bumped up to, to that spot. But it's, it's nice, a nice boost for him. I think he's the kind of driver that needs that at least every so often uh, to, to, you know, give himself a bit of extra motivation, it seems. So I'm, I'm definitely happy for him. And I think the, that McLaren team having two drivers fighting for as many points as possible is definitely what we want to see. It certainly is. I wish other teams would do the same thing, but definitely uh, land on, uh, keep an eye on with the remaining four uh, Grand Prix to come. At the bottom end, or at the may- maybe the middle end, not so much the bottom end of the grid, before we, we finish up a review of the American or the uh, Austin Grand Prix, um, Logan Sargent is somebody you identified, in fairness, before uh, when he got the seat, as somebody to watch out for. And his first F1 points, um, how important are they and, and, and for his own personal future as well in F1? Yeah, very. I think he's had a poor rookie season. He really has. You know, it's it's been very disappointing. And I think it's hard to say, obviously, because we're not behind closed doors. But I think he, even he would say it's been disappointing versus what his expectations of himself would have been. I think this is really important, particularly because we are we do know now that Williams have given him until the end of the season to show his best, you know, as much as he possibly can to try and secure that seat because currently he's the only driver on the grid whose seat is not confirmed for 2024. So to have been given 
that ultimatum, I suppose, and then to score your first points is definitely positive. And and both Williams cars ended up in the points, you know, after those two disqualifications and they were just outside the top 10, obviously, even without that. So I think a really, really strong weekend for them and they, they definitely are showing a lot of potential going forward. Yeah, and a timely boost for Williams. One of the great names of F1, as you and I would both know, and all F1 fans, it's it's for newcomers to the sport to see Williams at the bottom end is still strange for, uh, mm-hmm. or not strange for them, but very strange for people who know what Williams have had in the past. The uh, United States Grand Prix is in the history books. Max Verstappen taking the 25 points. Landon Norris bumped up to second, as you just explained there, Sergio, getting 18 points. Carlos Sainz Jr. in Ferrari third. Sergio Perez fourth uh, in the Red Bull, and then George Russell in the Mercedes finishing in fifth all that means in the drivers championship we know who's won he's way out in front Sergio Perez is still second now but only by ooh, 39 points from Lewis Hamilton and there's still a bit to go four Grand Prix to go um, Hamilton has now moved ahead of Fernando Alonso in the Aston Martin and Carlos Sainz Jr. in the Ferrari in the top five of the drivers championship the constructors championship as we said pretty much it is all over Red Bull and 706 points but second place is still very much up for grabs Mercedes on 344 Ferrari on 322 and then there's a battle as well for fourth and fifth where McLaren have finally overtaken uh, pardon the pun Aston Martin 242 points Aston Martin 236 we turn our attention before we finish up to the first of the four final Grand Prix of the 2023 season and that is the Mexican Grand Prix at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez I hope I haven't butchered that which takes place on Sunday um Considering what we've just seen, Sarah, and considering what you noticed over the weekend, uh, obviously we know the favourite is potentially, and the favourites for this potential weekend are. Who needs a big weekend in Mexico, considering this past mm. weekend has gone past? Who are the, what are the teams that need now to actually, first of four, four to go, it's ne- we're nearly there, but um, who needs a big weekend in Mexico? I think Aston Martin needs any sort of positivity yes. at any weekend <laughs> from from this point to the end of the year. I think they're absolutely up there. I would love to see Mercedes kind of play down the potential of their upgrade in Austin, but actually it looked really solid on Hamilton's car in particular. So I'd love to see them figure it out for both cars. And I think, I think Max Verstappen is obviously the favorite, but I do wonder, you know, Mexico always throws up a little bit of Mm. something. So I wonder if we could see a little bit of a shake up here. I'd love to see that happen. And, you know, just give us a chance to to celebrate a few other anthems and faces up there on the podium. I think it's, you know, it's the end of the year. Why not? Yes, we need it. F1 needs it and Netflix needs it if they're going to drag out whatever length of uh, season they're going to do in this particular championship. I don't know what they're going to do. It'll be very interesting. But more, you're right. More horse riding in the, <laughs> in the English countryside. <laughs> Lovely choir music in the background. Yeah, can't wait. Um, yeah, so lots to look forward to between now and then. 29th of October on Sunday, Mexican GP, as we said, 8 o'clock Greenwich Mean Time. Before we finish up, Sarah, in the interim, where can people find your racing content? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at MacTweets underscore and you can also find me on YouTube. All my videos are up there if you just search Sarah McKenzie F1. Excellent stuff. We'll talk again soon, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks, sir. The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Munster women's hockey Piero Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench to review the latest rounds of the 2023-24 Munster women's hockey season. Graham provides results and scores from all the recent women's EY1 and women's Munster Division 1 games involving Munster teams.
Graham and I also look ahead to this weekend's Monster Women's Hockey standout matches. Now, delighted to welcome to Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench, our weekly Monster Women's Hockey segment to the Monster Women's Hockey Payroll, Graham Catchball, to take us through all that's been happening both at club and interprovincial level over the past week. Graham, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Good now, Jar. How about yourself? I'm not bad at all. Good to talk to you again. Uh, we start with some positive news at the interprovincial level for Munster under 16s and under 18 girls. Yeah, so so the girls were playing in Catholic Institute at the at the weekend against Connacht. Um, so the under 16s drew their game uh, one all. Um, so the game went to a shootout at the end, and the Munster team came out on top with a two one victory in, in the shootout. So. That's their first points of the, of, 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 the, of the season, so they'll be delighted with that, uh, a good result, um, and will hopefully keep them in the, in the hunt for third place in that, in that table. Um, the under-18s had a comfortable win, a 5-0 victory over Connacht as well. Um, and again, that, that kind of puts them in, you know, uh, you know, in what a shout, I suppose, of going for, for third place in the table. Um, so look, I think good, good performance for both teams. Good to see them uh, beat Connacht because it can always be a, can always be a tricky encounter against Connacht. And you have explained to us on the Big Red Bench before, Graham, that while the results are the results, it's not necessarily the ethos of what you're doing at interprovincial level at 16 and 18. You want to be successful, obviously, but what you also want to do is to develop the players in a, in a kind of a higher environment in their clubs and try and hopefully bring that through then to senior. Is that correct? That, that's absolutely correct, Jar. So it really is. It's that stepping stone to it. To an Irish squad, it's a stepping stone to you know um, the, the the maybe the under twenty one panel and getting in you know in front of um, in front of some of the, the the national coaches and getting seen and you know it's, it's getting players on that pathway of, of of high performance I suppose and giving them the you know the I suppose the foundation in high performance and what they need, what is expected of uh, an international so you know it's it's far more than just the results I suppose of the the actual interpro matches. Yep, excellent stuff and well done to both the Munster uh, women's under-16 girls and the Munster women's under-18 team there at a 2-1 shootout win over Connacht at the under-16 interprovincial game and as you just said there, Graham, a 5-0 win at under-18 level. Well done to everybody involved, coaches and the entire squads there. We turn now our attention to the women's EY1 league and some good news for Catholic Institute. Yeah, a fantastic win on the road for Catholic Institute away to Pembroke Wanderers, uh, winning 2-1. Uh, Naomi Carroll, uh, the Irish international, and, and Aoife Hickey uh, scoring institutes goals. So um, great, great, always great to travel to Dublin and come, come away with three points. Uh, that that you know, lifts them from, I suppose, uh, the the lower reaches of the table right up into you know playoff positions. But look, it's 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 early days yet in the table. Uh, plenty of games to play, but they'd be they'd be delighted to go away to Pembroke, who are ahead of them in the table, and and ha- get those three points off them. Yeah, excellent. Well done, Catholic Institute, as you said. Any trip on the road at all, uh, especially to Dublin, to come away with the points like that in such a highly competitive league this year. Early stages, but a real boost for Catholic Institute and well done to them. We move now to the Women's Munster Division 1, where there was a couple of interesting results and some high scores, Graham, over the past weekend. Yeah, again, looking looking at uh, the, the scores this weekend, um, UCC and Harlequins look like the, the teams to beat, um, as, as we've kind of spoken about before. So, um, Harlequins first of all traveling to to Crescent and, and coming away with a seven 0 victory, so very comprehensive victory there. Beth Anne O'Farrell with another two goals. Uh, Yvonne Yvonne Byrne with one. Uh, Michelle Barry with one. Uh, Joy Sampson and and Rachel O'Shea um, rounding off the scoring there. Um, UCC on the other hand uh, got a, a great victory away to to Church of Ireland, a six 0 victory over Church of Ireland. Um, that that game historically has been very very closely fought. 
Um, so UCC would be absolutely delighted with that. Um, Irish international, uh, Robin Murphy with two goals there, Abby O'Mahony, uh, Amy Nangle, Jane Murphy and uh, Julie McCarthy uh, on the score sheet as well. Um, in the, the Battle of Blackrock, it ended nil all. So Blackrock nil and, and Ashton nil, a very close, closely fought game as well. Um, and Blackrock, I suppose, maybe the happier of the two sides, I suppose, getting a point off Ashton for, for the first time in the, in, in the recent past. So, um, yeah, some, some really interesting games. Um, but it does look like, uh, UCC and Harlequins are breaking away from the, from, from the rest at the moment. It certainly does. And as you said, those high scores have helped Harlequins and UCC maintain their 100% record after four games. They each have 12 points at the top of the Munster Women's Division 1 league. They're followed closely, uh, not too closely, but with a game in hand. Ashton on four points and Black Rock on four points and Waterford and Bandon, Crescent and Church of Ireland. Of course, they um, some of those teams have games in hand and can pick up points over the coming weeks. I guess the obvious question is, uh, Graham, those matches between UCC and Harlequins now already look like they're going to decide potentially who wins Division 1. We don't know for certain but of the chasing pack are Ashton and Black Rock best positioned possibly to pick off points before the end of the season and maybe maybe challenge the top two yeah it's, it's a tough one to call it looks like it looks like Quinns and, and CI are going to be the top two and it, it's it's you know there's going to be two cup finals there in the in in, in the league um, and and Ashton Black Rock certainly you know in in with a shout um, certainly Bandon I would not rule Bandon out as well um, and see if I know it's early in the season. There's, you know, a, a kind of a been a big turnover of players over the summer, so you, you you might see them come strong towards the end as well. So um, certainly, you know, Quinns and UCC look like they're probably going to be, you know, winning all around them. Uh, but the rest of the the teams in the league, you know, it, you know, we could get um, all sorts of results this year. I think. Yes, capable of taking points off one another as we've seen in the past as well. Last season was a clear indicator just how competitive that league was. We have one fixture uh, uh, this coming week, Graham, between two teams who need the points. Yeah, so so Ashton host um, Church of Ireland uh, Thursday evening at, at half past eight, and that's the the only game on 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 this week with the with the bank holiday weekend. So it's on Thursday um, in Ashton School, um, and it should be it should be a good game. Always historically a very very close match uh, between these two sides as well. So. Both sides would be looking to to try and uh, get up to that, um, you know, get up to Harlequins and, and UCC and close the gap. Yes, and a well-earned rest for everybody as well in the bank holiday weekend, um, I, I'm sure. And, so, and also for the Munster Women's Hockey Committee, maybe not to be thinking about hockey for a change, might will be a welcome, uh, like all uh, clubs and, and committees off for the coming weekend. But we will, of course, return when everything, when the action returns and cover it once again. We'll just take a quick look as well at the Women's EY1 League because it's it's important, as you mentioned there, Catholic Institute's excellent win away to Pembroke has seen them rise to sixth in the table on seven points from their five games. But they are very, very close. I mean, there's only two points between them and Ulster Elks who are up in third obviously Loretto way out in front maximum points on 15 at the moment Railway Union as well going very well with 12 points but that group of teams Ulster Elks Pembroke Wanderers UCD Catholic Institute now and even though Alex there's only three points between them uh, Graham and yeah. Catholic Institute have every chance of kicking on from here and having a really positive season Yeah absolutely I, I, I definitely wouldn't rule them out for a, for, a, for a top four place again this year um, and I know Loretto have started strongly, and so so Railway, but um, you know that the, they'll all be taking points off each other. You know the likes of Pembroke and UCD are very very strong. Ola Alex have probably just yet to kick into gear. Historically, even the likes of Pegasus there in mm. in ninth place would be a very very strong team from from the north. Um, and you know they they will definitely take a good few results this year. So very competitive, very close league this year. 
it certainly is we wish Catholic Institute all the best and a great win from this past week and of course we'll return to that EY1 League and the Women's Monster Division 1 League on our next episode before we finish we have of course the most important of all the goal scorers charts here on the big red bench in the Munster Women Hockey standings at the very very top uh, Bethana Farrell added two goals this past weekend she's up to 10 now and well ahead of her closest rivals Bandon's Olivia Roycroft and Harlequin's Michelle Barry who've each got five then we've got Abby Amani and Nikki Barry the two UCC players on four goals apiece and then a clutch of players on three Ashton's Emily O'Leary UCC's Robin Murphy Crescent's Faye uh, Graham Harlequin's Yvonne O'Byrne and UCC's Michaela Sanderson so as we said well done to Bethan O'Farrell at the, at the first break she's way out in front and uh, she's scoring for fun this season Graham it's great to see her back up there and playing so well as well it's good news yeah, no, it's fantastic, and and look, hopefully, players like this get the get the opportunity at the higher level as well in in the not too distant future. So, um, yeah, she seems to be absolutely flying it again at the start of this season. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, she kicks on now, and, and you know, a monster under twenty one team in the not too distant future. Excellent stuff. Uh, lots to look forward to when we return to the Munster Women's Hockey once again. But for this week, and for all the latest information as well, don't forget to follow Munster Women, Munster Hockey across their social media channels. But their PRO, Graham Catchpole, once again, thank you very, very much for joining us here on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench. Thanks, Joe. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. AFLW's Mike Curran join me on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis, comment and his expert coaching opinion on every single one of this past weekend's AFLW games. Mike also gave the lowdown on each Irish player's display following their latest weekend's AFLW action. We preview all of this upcoming weekend's AFLW matches as well, as well as analysing all the latest AFLW Ireland's Irish Player of the Year and week standings. Now on the Big Red Bench, we are delighted once again to be joined by our resident AFLW expert for our weekly slot on all things Aussie rules women's footy down under, and that is AFLW Ireland's Mike Cran. Mike, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? Great, sir. Thanks, Emil. Great to be back on again. It is, and yet again, we've a huge amount of information to get through, so let's crack on, because Round 8 uh, certainly delivered plenty of headlines, and it began on Friday, October the 20th, with Hawthorne and Richmond meeting, and it ended up uh, 41-30 in Hawthorne, or in Richmond's favour, apologies. Um, the Hawthorne's Irish for this season are Aileen Gilroy and Anya McDonough, but it was Richmond, Mike, who pulled off a fourth-quarter comeback and an 11-point win in Cairns. Yeah, just got the round off on Friday night, as you mentioned. And this game started very evenly. In fairness, there was two goals apiece in the first quarter. Scores were almost identical at halftime, with the Hawks actually a point up. And then Hawthorne managed to get themselves nine points ahead by three-quarter time. But it was that big final quarter with three goals that saw the Tigers get home for their 11-point win. And with that fourth-quarter comeback, as you mentioned there, so a good win for them. It's a half-and-half season, four wins and four losses. But Hawthorne stick on their two wins there. Um, in terms of the Irish players on show, Aileen Gilroy probably produced one of the highlights of the weekend. Uh, she had a solo slap bag in the middle of an AFLW outstanding. game. Uh, outstanding. It made all the, the news networks in Australia and everything. It confused pretty much everyone in Australia, <laughs> but uh, great to see it. Just that bit of instinctive skill from home coming in there, and she she pulled it off. Um, a very good game for Aileen as well. She's really come good the second part of the season there, back to her usual best 15 disposals on the night and the other Irish Hawk who's impressing week in and week out is Anya McDonough. Mm. Another goal for Anya McDonough continuing that remarkable scoring streak now to eight consecutive games 
one of only four players in the whole AFLW season to do that this year, but by far the only Irish player to ever get that get that many games consecutively. I think she had that accolade from round four on, but she's continued to add to it. So who's to bet against Anya going all the way through the season and scoring in every round with only two more rounds left? Um, so big Irish performances for the Hawks, despite them not getting the win on the night. Yeah, and good to hear as well. And Anya, as you said, keeping up that remarkable goal-scoring record. Disappointment for the Hawks, but it's Richmond, the Tigers, who get the win 41-30. We start our Saturday, the 21st of October, slate of results, Mike, with a bit of a headline score. Sydney Swans, 96. The Western Bulldogs, 39 at the Witten Oval. Now, the Sydney Swans Irish for this season are Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy, Julia Sullivan and Tanya Kennedy. But... The Swans kicked its highest ever score, won by 57 points and a fourth win on the bounce. But this is just disastrous for the Western Bulldogs, Mike. It is, yeah. A record score for the Swans. They'll be delighted with themselves, but it's eight losses in a row for Bulldogs now in what's becoming a miserable season for them so far. It might have been the highest score that that Sydney ever kicked, but this is the highest score that Bulldogs ever conceded in their AFLW history. And they've been around since day one. And remember, this was a club that won an AFLW Premiership back in the day as well. Mm. So, um, disaster for them. But yeah, it was it was the Swans' night. Fourteen goals for the Swans. Nine different goal kickers. They also had twelve behinds. So, if they'd been a bit more accurate up front, that winning margin could have been even higher again. And um, they'll be delighted to pick up the fourth win. Three Irish Swans featured on the night. We had Tanya Kennedy, Paris McCarthy, and Julia Sullivan. So. Brilliant for the Swans to get the win. Uh, down at Whitten Oval as well at, at Western Bulldogs home ground and the disaster for Western Bulldog continues. It does unfortunately, but well done to the Sydney Swans and the Irish involved there. We turn now to the biggest game of the weekend, possibly of the season, but the Brisbane Lions ending the Adelaide Crows undefeated record winning 42-39 at the Brighton Homes Arena. The Adelaide Crows Irish for this season are Niamh Kelly and Yvonne Bonner and the Brisbane Lions Irish are Orla Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn. But Mike, uh, Brisbane handing Adelaide its first loss of the season um, only by three points in what sounded and in the highlights what looked an absolute cracker. It was a belter of a game, absolutely brilliant. We were eagerly anticipating this one uh, from last week's build-up as well. And as you say, Adelaide's unbeaten run now is over. Um, Brisbane get the win over the lines in a battle between two of the top teams here at their home ground as well up in Brisbane. It was really a tight battle to and fro throughout, you know, um, that coveted top four finish on the line here, which becomes critical in terms of um, home games and home finals and stuff. Um, it was a massive battle again between the midfields, but it was Brisbane who edged that, I think, particularly in the second quarter and ultimately throughout the game. Last year's best and fairest, uh, league best and fairest, Ali Anderson was brilliant in the midfield for the Lions, as was Irish superstar Ola O'Dwyer. And a big occasion for Ola O'Dwyer as well, her 50th game. So a milestone moment uh, for Orla. A brilliant achievement again, only the third Irish player um, ever to hit 50 games behind Cora Staunton and Sarah Rowe. Uh, she has a, an AFLW premiership. She's an All-Australian. Now she's got her 50-game milestone. And uh, the exciting thing is I think she's just getting started. So more highlights to come from um, Orla O'Dwyer, no doubt. Uh, the Brisbane Lions side also featured Jennifer Dunn again. She had her best game of the season so far, so she's already starting to look more comfortable now in her defensive role week on week, um, despite having a very, very short preseason after heading out after Dublin won there at Ireland. And across on the Adelaide side, Neve Kelly, outstanding again. 28 disposals, that's very close, if not a record for an Irish player in a game. Seven marks, three tackles. She was best on ground, um, for the Crows again. Uh, but yeah, as you say, just three points in it, an absolute thriller. Brisbane edged the preliminary final between these sides last year that we mentioned last week. They've edged it here again. 
Um, it's going to be intriguing if these sides meet again in the finals and it's highly likely that they will. So uh, that's definitely something to look forward to. Oh, it certainly is. And best uh, congratulations, as you said, uh, to Orla Dwyer reaching that milestone. Fantastic for her and great to see Jennifer Dunn, as you said, delivering as soon as she's gone over for the Brisbane Lions. Only three points in that game, Mike. And we move now to the next game where there was only two points between it because the Greater Western Sydney Giants edged the Carlton Blues 49-47. The Blues Irish for the coming season are Iran Fitzpatrick and Tanya Finn. Uh, but it was the Greater Western Sydney who got the two-point victory at Henson Park. Yeah, a brilliant win for, for the Giants. Uh, Potentially a bit of an upset because Carlton are pushing finals. Giants had only one win prior to this, but this game was a thriller. It went down right down to the wire. Only two points in it in the end. Uh, it was up at Henson Park in Sydney, so good atmosphere there. And remember, Giants lost one of their most influential players last week, Alice Parker, to injury. But they needn't have worried. Their young 18-year-old superstar, Zarley goes already stepped up here. Five goals, absolutely outstanding for a, a debut player and a player of such a young age. She's going to be a superstar for years to come. That was the, the main influencing factor behind the Giants getting over the line uh, over Carlton on this one. They scored 8-1-49, so very clean in front of goals this week. Uh, just the one behind to Carlton, 7-5-47. And from an Irish point of view, we had Iran uh, Fitzpatrick for Carlton scoring another goal. So she scored four goals already this season. Another good performance from her. And Dana Finn picked up nine disposals in defence. So again, she's getting better week on week as well. But yeah, this was definitely a, a thrilling win for GWS Giants and they'll be delighted with that. Indeed, they will. So we've had a three-pointer, a two-pointer, and now we move to a rarity, a draw between Yarta Pulti, which is the uh, Indigenous name of Port Adelaide, and... Um, Seven goals, three behinds, which is 45 points, as did the Gold Coast, who got seven goals, three behinds at the Alberton Oval. 45 apiece, the Gold Coast Irish sons for this year, Clara Fitzpatrick, Neve McLaughlin and Cara McCrossan. Um, a cracking game again, Mike, in very, very difficult conditions and a rarity, a draw? Uh, definitely a rarity, yeah. I, I don't think there's been too many at all across um, AFLW history. But as you see, across the whole round this weekend, there was um, very close games in a number of fixtures. Um, Gold Coast exploded out of the blocks here in this one. They kicked four goals to one in the first quarter. So it looked like um, they might dominate this game. But then Port Adelaide surged back into it and ahead in the second quarter, scoring 4-3 of their own and keeping the Suns scoreless in that one. So there was only a point in it at three-quarter time. And it finished level at the final siren as a result of a late goal for, for the Suns to level it from six points down. Um, there was two goals in this game actually for Neve McLaughlin uh, the Suns Irish player from Donegal she had a brilliant highlight run as well that included four bounces so she's utilising her speed and she's been moved around the team a bit across her first season she started initially off half back she seems to be settling more at half hour now and her speed has definitely um, been used to full effect up there by the Suns and the Suns also featured this week Clara Fitzpatrick in defence um, but yeah, it was an exciting game to watch. It was a thriller of a game, a draw. It doesn't get much closer than that, but that's probably not going to help either of those two teams to fulfil their amb- ambitions for the season, but uh, definitely a spectacle for the fans. Yes, indeed. And uh, despite the poor conditions, as you said, a spectacle 45 apiece. But yeah, those not winning that game may yet come back to haunt one of those teams before the end of the season. We'll have to wait and see. We end the Saturday night slate with the highly anticipated Melbourne Derby. NARM, which is the indigenous name of the Melbourne Demons, five goals, seven behinds, 37, a win over their North Melbourne Kangaroos rivals, who got 14 points at Icon Park in front of close to 3,000 people. The Melbourne Irish for this year, Melbourne Demons Irish, I should say, for this year are Sinead Goldrick, Blaine Mackin and Amy. 
Mackin. And the North Melbourne Kangaroos Irish are Ailish Considine, Eric O'Shea and Niamh Martin. But a 23-point derby win for the Demons, which took them to the top of the AFLW ladder, Mike. Commanding performance, fully deserved. But what about the Kangaroos after this? Yeah, it was a commanding performance. And there was a great atmosphere for this one at Icon Park. And this was the other eagerly anticipated big game of the weekend for sure. And it was actually Kangaroos who made the better start here. They opened with two goals, one in the first quarter, but then that was their, to remain their score for the following second and third quarters. And they only managed to add one behind in total before the final siren. So, and incidentally, that first goal um, of those two goals was scored by Irish Kangaroo Neve Martin, playing only in her second game. So she got her, her first AFLW goal. Uh, great excitement for her and everyone back in Tipperary. But for that from that first quarter on, though, Melbourne definitely had the upper hand. They started to dominate around the ground. They scored three goals, four behinds to no score across second and third quarters. And that really um, set them up for that win. You know, we mentioned last week, further to last season's preliminary final between these two teams at this very venue as well. Uh, the key difference seemed to be North Melbourne's lack of tall forwards. They've addressed that in the in the preseason and the off season, as we've mentioned, and they've got three massive tall forwards up front now. But Melbourne totally negated that, that by simply cutting off the supply to the forwards. Uh, so there was no way for uh, North Melbourne to get back into this game. Irish players excelled in this one. Blind Mackin was exceptional again for the Demons, as was Eric O'Shea for the Kangaroos. Both were amongst the best on ground, uh, both getting even better week on week as the season progresses. Sinead Goldrick also featuring strongly in defence in this one for Melbourne Demons. Yeah, but look, it's an important and impressive win for Melbourne, repeating that preliminary final win from last season. And North would definitely be a little bit disappointed um, with another loss against one of the top three. And this is a, an interesting stat now that's starting to build up. Um, North are consistently there or thereabouts in the top four. But against those other top three teams, Melbourne Demons, Adelaide, Crows and Brisbane Lions, they have only won two out of 15 games across mm. the last number of seasons. So that's definitely something that they'll be hoping to improve on um, come this year's final series. But another great win for Melbourne. Yes, indeed, a very good win for Melbourne, and that's the big headline. North are still obviously in the ladder, still in third, but as you said, that's an interesting statistic about the teams in the top uh, in, in the end of a season series. We'll see what the next couple of weeks bring for both of those Melbourne teams. We turn to Sunday, um, and on the 22nd of October, the opening game on Sunday was the Collingwood Magpies uh, gaining a six-point win over the Geelong Cats, 30-24 to at Victoria Park. The Collingwood Magpies Irish for this season are Sarah Rowe and Ashley Sheridan, while the Geelong Irish are Rachel Kearns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy. But it was Collingwood's fourth game in a row and a fourth win in a row. Um, you know, a really important and a good performance from them as they as they look to nail down that series finish. It was, yeah, four in a row. And look, at that's four games in a row they've won since the Collingwood men's team won the AFL Grand Final. And I know Sarah mentioned it in interviews during the week there that it, that's just given a bounce around the whole club. And you can imagine that, I suppose, uh, when such success is in the building, all, all these teams share all the same facilities and stuff. So, the Collingwood Magpies AFLW have been flying it four wins in a row and this was against Geelong as well who's another finals contender and this one was in wet conditions so it was a hard-earned win as well but it looks like Magpies will be going for their fifth final series in a row now and they've definitely helped their case here um, it was Collingwood who knuckled down and adapted to the those poor weather conditions better and in terms of the Irish players Sarah Rowe very good again 
and it, she played her 51st game. So she's now been the first Irish player to go past 50 games and currently leading the record uh, for most games played by an Irish player with 51 games. Obviously, uh, Orla Dwyer is going to be still actively behind, behind her for the rest of the season, but important to highlight that she's the first person to hit 51 games and most games for an Irish player and she performed brilliant again as usual as did Ashling Sherd and uh, both Ashling and Sarah were named amongst the best on ground for Collingwood and on the Geelong side also featured Ashling Maloney and Rachel Kearns and of course Rachel Kearns a fellow Mayo player and teammate of Sarah so they had a few photo ops before the game as well uh, but this one was an important win for Collingwood um, in a battle between two finals contenders Yes, it was. And uh, every week you keep mentioning those, the Irish players will talk about the AFLW Ireland player standings at the end of this conversation. But Sarah Rowe's name is up there yet again. What a season she's having and a great win for Collingwood. And they, as you said, getting that bounce from the men's winning the AFL this year, up to six on the ladder and going really well. Uh, the second game on the Sunday slate was the Fremantle Dockers against St Kilda. And Fremantle's uh, Indigenous name is Walia Lup, if you see that in any of the headlines. They won 45-21 at the Fremantle Community Oval. The Dockers Irish for this season are Anya Tyg, Orla Lally, Amy Mulholland and Joanne Craig while St Kilda have just one Irish player and that's Grace Kelly but it was Fremantle who ended St Kilda's four game winning streak and in style Mike a really good performance here a brilliant performance and the Saints march has been halted we talked about the Saints marching on last week but Fremantle, Fremantle have ended their four game winning sweep and in an impressive fashion the Dockers dominated from the start here at Fremantle o- o- Oval and a brilliant opening goal actually from Anya Tai where she literally bullied her opponent off the ball and, and set the scene for the rest of the game but in fact it was the Dockers highest score uh, in a first quarter for the entire season and they did not look back from there so um, we mentioned that goal from Anya she was brilliant again throughout as she received coaches votes for this game but also outstanding in this one was Orla Lally. She had 19 disposals, so Orla Lally is also getting better week on week. Um, so the other two Irish Dockers on this occasion, Joanne Craig and Amy Mulholland, both missed out due to injuries, uh, nothing major, but they didn't make it this week. And for St Kilda, uh, their sole Irish player, Grace Kelly, was in action and another solid game for her in defence with, with 15 disposals. But this was an impressive win for the Dockers. It certainly was and, and a good performance yet again from the Irish contingent. We end uh, the final round of the Round 8 games, the final game sorry, of Round 8, with an upset at Windy Hill where the West Coast Eagles picked up only their second victory of the season but at the expense of the high-flying Essendon Bombers, 23-19 to in favour of the West Coast. West Coast Eagles Irish player this year is Ashley McCarthy. Joanne Doonan is the sole Irish player on the Essendon lineup. But Mike, West Coast caused a major upset here by f- winning by four points, albeit in tricky conditions, but this could well, well have the Bombers' finals chances. It definitely will have a big impact potentially, you know. And this is, was probably the shock of the round, and probably the shock of, of the last few rounds. Um, West Coast Eagles came down from Perth to Windy Hill, which is Essence's hope ground, and they got that brilliant shock win against the Bombers. Uh, it was built on two quick goals at the start of that game. One brilliant goal from Ashley McCarthy hooked around her body from the edge of the of the fifty that got them in front, and that's where they, where they stayed uh, uh, throughout the game to stun Essendon. Um, you know, you feel this was definitely part due to a bounce back from the Eagles players themselves further to those controversial comments made by their head coach last week, which we referenced here. But they were definitely up for this one and it showed. It was a ferocious contest. It was the most combined tackles ever in an, in an AFLW game across eight seasons. So that'll tell you the, the pressure that the Eagles bought to this one. And it was a well-deserved second win of the season for Ash Mack and the Eagles. But yes, um, it will dent Essendon's hopes of making a top four finish 
and it, it's it's phenomenal that they're even in that position. But uh, they definitely will still probably be towards the top end of the table. But it was um, a, a shock for sure, and great to see the Eagles pick up a second win. Yes, indeed. Great for the Eagles. Disappointment for Essendon and they're going to have to get things right because time is running out in terms of uh, securing a, a, a finals series uh, place and a decent final finish in the top 18 on the AFLW ladder. And that's that completes our round eight roundup. And we're going to actually turn out to the AFLW ladder heading in to round nine next weekend. And as it stands, Melbourne and Adelaide are joint top of the ladder. Melbourne just ahead on the points percentage there, um, both on 28 points. They're closely followed by North Melbourne and Brisbane following Brisbane's excellent win. The Lions have now joined the Kangaroos on 24 points each to round off the top four. Essendon, following that surprise shock, are still on 20 points. And as are Collingwood, who have joined in, the Magpies moving up now into sixth place. And the top eight is rounded off by Gold Coast and Geelong. Gold Coast on 18, but Geelong, although they're on 16 points, they are one of one, two, three, four, five, six, real bad arithmetic here. Six clubs that are also on 16 points. Carlton, Sydney, Richmond, St Kilda and Fremantle. So huge scramble there for the final two places into the top eight over the coming weeks. The remainder of the ladder sees the Hawks, uh, the Greater Western Sydney, uh, West Coast, Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs at the bottom end of the ladder. That uh, brings us to round nine, which takes place this weekend and begins on Friday the 27th of October with a match between the Gold Coast and the Greater Western Sydney Giants. That's followed on Saturday by five really very important games. Melbourne at the top of the ladder taking on Frio at Casey Fields St Kilda meeting a high-flying Brisbane who want to keep their great run going Essendon Bombers and the Carlton Blues meet in Windy Hill and then West Coast and the Western Bulldogs meet at Mineral Resources Park Richmond and Geelong promises to be an interesting uh, game at Icon Park with both teams on 16 points before we turn to the three games on Sunday uh, Sydney and Collingwood should be a cracker as well considering how well Sydney are playing at the moment and Collingwood always a difficult team to beat but probably one of the games of the weekend you're going to talk to us about is the one between Adelaide and North Melbourne two of the top three meeting at Norwood Oval and the Sunday and round nine slate is rounded off by the Hawks and Port Adelaide meeting at Kinetic Stadium some big big games there as we get to the end of the regular season Mike what are the games that you're most looking forward to this weekend in round nine yeah absolutely every game is a big game here from here on in with just two rounds left but uh, the standout is obviously Adelaide Coast versus North Melbourne here two of the top four teams North Melbourne have to dust themselves off from that loss to the Demons and come straight back and, and face a top two team again uh, for the second week in a row so this will test I suppose where they're at and where they're always in relation to these games and that stat against the, the top end teams that we mentioned there and that has potential for movement within the top four on the table there so a hugely important game and that's the game of the round without question. But again, there's impact um, for every club around all the games there. Even if you look at uh, Essendon versus Carlton, you know, um, Essendon will want to bounce back from that. Carlton are pushing to try and get into that top eight. Um, you have St Kilda versus Brisbane. Brisbane will be looking to to build on the win from this weekend. Sydney versus Collingwood, you mentioned this one's going to be exciting. Uh, Collingwood are on a roll. Uh, Sydney are playing well as well. But the, the big talking point in this game will be Chloe Malloy, I suppose one of Collingwood's top players, who went to Sydney in the expansion period before the start of this season. So that'll be an interesting um, understory to that one. But yeah, across the board, I suppose, even Richmond versus Geelong, so many of these games now have impact on that top eight. Uh, top eight, as we keep saying, is where everyone wants to be. Uh, you get to play into November and into finals. And you mentioned the six clubs there on 16. So so much can happen uh, depending on the results of these games across this weekend and next weekend, and even depending on the score, because... 
all those teams on that same um, points are just separated by goal percentage. So another big, massive weekend ahead for round nine and hard to believe there's only two rounds left. I know. We, we talked about the league for so long, Mike. Finally here and it goes like a freight train as we get to the end of the regular season. We finish our weekly segment on all things AFLW here on the Big Red Bench with the latest AFLW Irish Player of the Week standings and the overall AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings. And I know, just like the top eight, this is going to be very, very close and I can't wait to see how it finishes. But Mike, let's see how it's finished after round eight and what are the standings on the Player of the Week? Yeah, so in terms of the Irish Player of the Year for round eight, uh, this week it was Blind Mackin for absolutely brilliant for Melbourne, as we've mentioned already. Uh, she's having a superb season. Uh, second this week was Neve Kelly, again, best on ground for the Adelaide Crows, consistent week in, week out. Uh, Ash Mack, and then Eric O'Shea, um, who's had an outstanding couple of weeks. Um, again, it's she's admitted herself this week that it's taken her a couple of weeks to adjust back to switching from GA back to AFLW, but she's absolutely flying in the last couple of rounds, as is Orla Lally, who comes in next there. Um, she's in the top seven now for the, for the second or third time in a few weeks. Sarah Rowe and Aileen Gilroy, uh, but in terms of the overall Irish player of the year after round eight, it's been Neve Kelly, it's been Sarah Rowe, they've been level at the top. It's been Sarah Rowe again, but now after round eight, Neve Kelly is on top of the standings uh, with 620 points. Sarah Rowe is in second with 605 points. So very, very little in it there. Ash Mack is back in third with 580. But at this stage, with two rounds left to go, it looks like it will be between these two Mayo stars, Neve Kelly and Sarah Rowe. Um, Ash Mack may have an impact on that yet it's going to be one of those uh, two or three you feel and then rounding out the top uh, seven there is Orlo Dwyer on 545 Anya Tai 510 Blind Mack on 450 and Anya McDonough 400 on the back of that fantastic um, goal scoring streak so yeah it's going to go down to the wire just like the top of the <laughs> table the top of the Irish Player of the Year table uh, is changing hands but it looks like a, a, a battle between Neve Kelly and Sarah Rowe at this stage and what a battle that promises to be over the coming weeks before we ever start talking about the final series. But it's it's just brilliant to see so many players playing at a consistently high level week in, week out. I think that's the big headline. Whoever wins this, Mike, the fact that so many Irish players are having such a, a major impact on their respective teams, that's a big thing from an Irish point of view. It's huge. You know, the Irish players are, are dominating in every club. Uh, the experienced players are getting better and better and are consistently the best players on their teams. The likes of Sarah Rowe, Neve Kelly, Orlo Dwyer, Anya Tai, all leaders, all outstanding. Some of the newer players from last season, remember the likes of Blind Mackin is only in her second season uh, and she's up there in the, in the top seven consistently. Anya McDonough only in her second season. So think about the potential of those players. Eric O'Shea, the potential yet to come from those players. And then um, you have some of the newer players from this year as well. So every one of them is absolutely uh, performing brilliantly and and doing Ireland proud. And and it's fantastic to see it. Uh, There isn't a game that doesn't have an Irish highlight or an Irish headline. And they really are having a massive impact on the competition. They certainly are. What a competition it is. The AFLW Irish Player of the Week and AFLW Irish Player of the Year standings can be found across the social media network that is AFLW Ireland. Where can people find all this information when they go to their smartphones or their computers, Mike? So just hit up at AFLW underscore Ireland on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and TikTok. Uh, the, The majority of the info will be on Instagram and it's across the week from Monday right through to the round in the build up. Um, so yeah, at AFLW underscore Ireland. Excellent stuff as always. That's round eight uh, wrapped up again as we head into the home straight of the regular season. Mike Curran, thank you very, very much for joining us here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks, Major. The 
Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Now, time for uh, a roundup of both Cork LGFA and Munster LGFA action in recent weeks to check on how all the Cork teams are doing, both at club level and, of course, provincial. We start with fantastic news that Donovan Rossa from Skibbereen have qualified for this year's Munster LGFA Junior A final following a terrific performance to see off Newmarket on Fergus last Saturday. Fresh off a Cork LGFA county final win and Munster semi-final success over Lockmore Castellini, Donovan Rossa carried their momentum into Saturday's provincial semi-final. Clares Newmarket and Fergus were the Skibbereen side's opponent in the last four encounter where the visitors got off to the perfect start. Four Ava Donovan points and one Laurel Mahoney score edged Ross's not five to not not ahead before Newmarket and Fergus replied with two points. A converted Ava O'Donovan penalty restored the West Cork club's advantage, which grew to one eight to not three by the interval. That became an eight point lead once Laurel Mahoney netted O'Donovan Ross's second goal after 38 minutes. From there, the visiting team kept Newmarket and Fergus at arm's length despite conceding a goal to run out two sixteen to one seven winners. Ava O'Donovan won seven, Laura O'Mahony won three, Aoife O'Driscoll, Emma Hurley two points each, Trina Murphy and Fernula O'Driscoll one each, Word O'Donovan Ross's scores. And because of that, a Munster Junior A final appearance awaits against the Kerry champions, Clown Macken, Moy Vane, and, uh, and that takes place at the moment, that's scheduled for November the 11th with a venue to be decided. But well done to O'Donovan Ross today, reaching a Munster final on the back of their Cork LGFA Junior A County final victory where they'll take on the Kerry champions, Clown Macken, Moy Vane. Now, another West Cork club, Castlehaven, suffered a heartbreaking Munster LGFA Senior B quarter final defeat away to Comera Rangers on Feathered's all-weather pitch last Sunday. A cracking game was closely fought all the way through with Rangers leading 1-8 to 1-3 at the interval despite Neva Sullivan netting for the Haven. It went score for score throughout an even second period in which Hannah Sheehy's goal moved the Haven to within a point of their opponents. Comer refused to panic however and a Waterford club reeled off a succession of scores to edge five clear. Despite a gallant effort, Castlehaven were unable to close the gap and lost 113 to 2-7. Hannah Sheehy won two, Moreto Driscoll not four, Neva Sullivan a goal and Siobhan Courtney a point where Castlehaven scores on an afternoon. Shelley Daly, Siobhan Courtney and Annie Daly were some of the West Cork side's best players. Disappointing for Castlehaven but it's still been a fantastic season finishing the year as County Senior B champions but losing out on this occasion to Comera in the uh, Munster LGFA Senior B quarter final. Coming up this weekend in the Munster LGFA Intermediate semi-finals on Saturday the 28th of October, Boerland will host the Cork Intermediate Champions Glanmire. The second intermediate semi-final between Rathmore and Monaghan also takes place on Saturday in Rathbeg at 2.30pm. Then on Sunday, October 29th, both Munster LGFA Senior Ladies Football Championship semi-finals are down for decision. Cusick Park and Ennis host the Banner and Cork Senior County Champions Mornabby's last four clash with a 2pm throw-in on the same afternoon, Fanoog St. Sennans and Bally McCabry clash in St. Sennans grounds in Kerry and that also has a 2pm start time. So everyone here in the Big Red Bench wishes both Cork clubs, Moran Abbey and Glenmire, all the best in those matches. Munster semi-finals for the reigning senior and intermediate county champions. Now, on to domestic matters in the Cork LGFA Club Championship scene. And last weekend scheduled Cork LGFA Junior B County Final between Tyg McCorrick and Rock Bond had to be postponed at MTU. Uh, I, I don't have confirmation of when that rearranged final is taking place at the time of recording, but uh, keep an eye on both teams' social media accounts and also the Cork LGFA social media accounts for details of that. Also, uh, coming up this weekend uh, in MTU Cork, 
the venue is scheduled to host a Cork LGFA Junior C, Junior E and Junior F County Finals triple header. Uh, first up is Ibane Ladies Junior F County Final meeting with Bannon Colleague and that has got a noon throw-in. That's followed by Bandon versus Yall in the Junior E decider which takes place at 2pm and finally Mallow face Aaron's own in the Junior C County decider at 4.15pm. Good luck to all six finalists in that. Hopefully weather permitting those games will go ahead. MTU Cork is the place to be um, for those three games. I'll just run through them again at 12 o'clock uh, noon throw-in for IB and ladies and Bannon Colleague's Junior F final. Bandon and Yall Junior E County Final at 2pm and Aaron's own Mallow in the Junior Junior C decider at 4.15pm. Now, the Cork LGFA Minor Championships are also well underway at the moment. Let's take a check, a check on how those are going. In the Minor A Football Championship, Morn Abbey and Aerog met in a cracking quarterfinal, which Morn Abbey won 3-7-2-4. And they will face West Cork Club Island Rovers in the semi-finals after Island Rovers and Glanmire needed extra time to be separated following an absolutely absorbing game, which finished 6-10-3-12 to Ibane at to Island Rovers, apologies. Um, Island uh, qualified for the semi-finals, as we said, in Rath last weekend, following that epic encounter. Thrilling game finished 3-7-2-10 at the end of normal time. Two additional periods of extra time didn't disappoint before Rovers emerged. The winners, Kate Carey got 2-4, Maeve Collins got 2-1, Sarah Carey 1-1, Alice Bush got a goal, Leah Carey and Carlo Ring got two points each. Uh, in what was a cracking game. Now, the other side of the draw, so we know Morn Abbey are facing Island Rovers in the Minor A Championship semi-finals. The other side of the draw, yet to be decided. Castlehaven will take on Yall in one quarter final, and the winners of that will advance to take on either Navabon or Mallow in the second semi-final and we're looking forward to those games. On to the Minor B Championship quarterfinals draw has been made one game to date has been played we've got information from and that is Tyg McCorrig uh, defeating Kilchanik 4-11-1-4 to reach the semi-finals the other three quarterfinals in the minor B County Championship Ballinora will take on Bride Rovers Bantir will face Dunamore and Middleton uh, will take on Clannacilty in the Minor C Ladies Football Championship, Aragland Desmond's Bui were defeated by Ballonhasic 121-25 in the first of those quarterfinals. Ballonhasic will play either Inch Rovers or Douglas in the last four. On the other side of the draw, it's going to be an all-West Cork semi-final following Kinsale's 5-14-15 defeat of Rock Bond and Bandon's big win over Killavullen. Kinsale and Bandon in one semi-final, Ballonhasic against either Douglas or Inch Rovers in the other Minor C Championship County semi-finals. On to the Minor D Championship and uh, IBA ladies are through to the semi-finals where they will face Carrigaline. On the other side of the draw, Bantry Blues had a big win over the school. High scoring game this 5-14 to 3-15. Sounds like a cracker. And Bantry will meet either Fermoy or Drum Tariff in the minor D County Championship semi-finals. And as we said, the winners of that will face either Ibane ladies or Carrigaline in the final. Now, the minor A2 championship is also up and running. And uh, a big win for Ahada over Glenworth. 117 to 2-5. Valley Rovers uh, overcoming St. Peter's means that Ahada and Valley Rovers will meet in one semi-final. On the other side of the draw, two teams which received a bye into the semi-finals, Aaron Zone and O'Donovan Rossa. So the final four has now been set for the A2 Championship in the minor county, Ada versus Valley Rovers and Aaron Zone versus O'Donovan Rossa. The minor B2 County Championship, uh, Granada uh, getting the better of Knock Degree and Mitchellstown uh, will be their semi, uh, semi-final opponents. And on the opposite side of the draw, Kilnamila will take on Watergrass Hill in the second minor B2 County Championship last for encounter. Onto the minor C2 championship and a good win for Barrow over Ballygarvan has the uh, rural division into the semi-finals where they'll face Castle Magnor and on the other side of the draw 
Big win for Ballancolic over Carrick Tool, so they're through to the last four, and they are awaiting the rearranged quarterfinal between St Mary's and Ross Carberry, which was postponed last weekend, getting down to the nitty gritty there in the C2 Championship. And finally, the minor D2 Championship was also about to get underway. Ballycastle would take on Mayfield uh, in one tie, and St Colman's will face St Cullum's in the other uh, last four clash. So uh, again, go to CorkLadiesFootball.com for all the latest fixtures, info, and details about any upcoming minor championship ties and as we said good luck to all the clubs playing in county finals this coming weekend Cork LGFA triple header and MTU don't miss that that's going to be an absolute cracker and also the very very best of luck to both Morn Abbey and Glanmire as they take to the field in the Munster LGFA senior and intermediate provincial semi-finals we'll be back very soon on Cork's Red FM Big Red Bench to review all of those results and look ahead to any upcoming finals that's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you can also listen online at redextra.ie don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan Colm O'Sullivan and guests between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie the Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.